Hi, this is Zach Granite from the Minnesota Twins. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. From the state-of-the-art Gotham podcast studio in the heart of New York City, Tribeca, the greatest city in the world, this is The Conversation with Tommy Weber. It's a beautiful March day. A nor'easter is on its way. New York City braces for another storm. Spring training is in full swing. It's a great time to be a New Yorker. The Yankees are very, very optimistic. The Mets, cautiously so. We are really thrilled to have this new relationship with the Gotham Podcast Studio, state-of-the-art. Matt, the crew, everybody here has been absolutely great. Just great to be here. So today I want to mention a couple of things before we get going. Hashtag for mom, Braden Bishop um, and Hunter Bishop. Hunter Bishop, the center fielder with the Brewster Whitecaps this summer, a real good friend of mine, a great player at Arizona State, and his brother Braden, who is a top prospect with the Seattle Mariners, put together an organization that is about Alzheimer's awareness, and uh, Braden and Hunter will be on the show soon. Uh, their mom is uh, battling this terrible disease, and if you get a chance, please visit the website. Um, it's not about donating or giving any money. Just you know, say hello to these guys. They're really in a, in, in a tough battle, and we want to give them as much support as we possibly can. Also, Northern Security Capital Corp., a sponsor of our show, Mortgage Brokers, the best in the, in the business, 718-273-1010. If you're buying or refinancing, that's the place to go. My guys at Positive Vibes doing a great job with gear. Check them out anytime. We've got Andy Santella today on the program, author, writer, great guy. We're going to get to him in a moment. First of all, never before have so many been given so much of something they wanted so little of, such is the case with Major League Baseball's implementation of instant replay. The optics of it, the execution of it has been an unmitigated disaster, and Major League Baseball is now doubling down, thinking about ways to expand its use rather than taking a really hard look at what was probably a mistake in the beginning, and trying to dial it back a little bit. The optics of instant replay are horrendous. The umpire having to travel from the first baseline to the third base dugout. Some guy hops out of the stands, looks like a hot dog vendor. Two guys have headsets on, uh, all to find out after a minute and a half that a shoelace from the runner was tagged by uh, the shortstop's glove. This is not the intended use for instant replay. Ostensibly, the Don Denkinger call in 1985 and the Jim Joyce call in the perfect game were the the reasons for implementing replay in the first place. If I was Major League Baseball, what I would do is dial it back now. Relegate instant replay to boundary calls, home runs. It's impossible for umpires to be able to see whether or not a ball just barely cleared the line. I get it. They need that. Secondly... If you're not going to hold the umpires more accountable, then you've got to take them off the hook a little bit. You need to implement an automated strike zone. We have the technology to do it seamlessly. Nothing would change about the game. The optics would look exactly the same. The technology is in place where you could could have the universal strike zone. No longer would umpires have their own personal strike zone. It's absurd that an umpire could be called a low ball umpire or a high ball umpire. Take all of that judgment out of it because the reality is the most impact that the umpires have is in the strike calls. Balls and strikes are really uh, game changers. And the statistics are all on the side of automating the strike zone. So I think that Rob Manfred needs to realize that baseball is entertaining. And uh, it's supposed to be entertaining. And it's entertainment. And to the extent that you make the game less entertaining, people are going to tune off. The delays are ridiculous. The, The length of the game is too long. And the pace of the game is being interrupted. So Major League Baseball, take note of this. Dial it back, boundary calls, automate the strike zone. 
Our guest today, Andy Santella. His book, An Overdue History of Procrastination from Leonardo to Darwin to You and Me. It's called Soon. It's out everywhere. You got to get it. I read through some of it. It's fabulous. For you procrastinators out there, uh, Andy, welcome aboard. Great to have you. My utter pleasure to be here, Tommy. Andy's greatest accomplishment, aside from being an outstanding author and writer, is that he's also a high school baseball coach at Millennium High School. Millennium High School is in uh, Park Slope in Brooklyn. Brian Friedman is the head coach there. Andy is an assistant coach. And uh, Andy and I kind of met up through baseball. And once we had even a brief conversation, I knew uh, that he was the kind of guy that I wanted to have on my show. And uh, Andy, are you a procrastinator? I am. In fact, the the uh, genesis of the book was was my uh, search for sort of excuses, rationalizations, ways to ways to justify my my lifelong habit. I decided if I dug deep enough into history and into philosophy and into the behavioral sciences, somewhere in there, I would find some some way to justify my habit. Um, I'm not sure I ever did, but I found out a lot of other important, at least to me, things that uh, I tried to share in the book. Um, Before we get too deep into the book, give me a little bit about how you get to New York, how you get to be uh, a writer, an author, your process that you go through when you're deciding about what to write. I've read through a bunch of your essays, which are really fascinating. Anybody, please go online, Andy Santella. uh, Check it out. It's fantastic. Give us a little uh, history about you. Well, I'm a lifelong, or well, I had been a lifelong Chicagoan. Um, uh, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> born, born and raised there, and uh, just came to New York. Uh, I'd have to do the math, but let's let's just round it off to five years ago um, with my family. Um, I've been writing all my life um, and um, loving sports all my life, and for a lot of that time, um, the two intersected. Um, when I was very young, when I was in high school, uh, I spent half my time playing sports and the other half of my time writing about sports. I got a, I got a gig uh, as a stringer for our weekly newspaper in my, in my town. Um, and and uh, I, I didn't know how to type at the time, so I wrote my stories out on loose-leaf paper and handed them to my mother. Um, and then she would type them up and... Uh, then she would drive me to the office of the newspaper for me to hand them in. We, we, I, I learned later that, that you call that filing your story. Um, <laughs> I, it took me a while to learn the terms of art. But so, yeah, so that's, that's how young and, and green I was. But uh, somewhere along the way, I learned uh, not only how to write, but also how to type. And um, I learned how to drive. And, um, You're dating yourself. <laughs> it's, right. No, it was an IBM Selectric. Oh, it was, I, I'm quite old, Tommy. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's um, uh, so writing is obviously your passion. It's really something you have to be passionate about. I mean, I, I could barely read, let, let alone write. Um, and, and every time I try to write things, I, I tend to um, I tend to procrastinate. I tend to get distracted. I tend to put it off. It's it's daunting to me. And 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 when I when I read through some of the book, uh, what I was struck by was your ability to take something that perhaps. Uh, we have defined um, as a negative. We, we look at procrastination as a negative. And you, in a kind of Gladwellian way, if you will, uh, take a look at this and sort of turn it around and say, maybe it's not such a negative. And can you expand on that? I'll, I'll try. Um, it, it seemed to me, I mean, because I'm certainly not the first person to write about the topic. I mean, there's a ton of material online and in bookstores um, and on YouTube about procrastination. But so much of it um, is about how to fix it. 
that seems to be the most interesting thing about the topic for some people. And I think for me, that's the least interesting thing. Um, and for me, if you think about the topic long enough, um, it leads you to a lot of important questions. Uh, you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, and I think you can learn a lot about yourself by um, asking yourself why you're procrastinating. And Why and, do people procrastinate? Well, I, Why do you procrastinate? I mean, there's my, my list of reasons is, is a long one, Tommy. I, I think fear is high up there. I'm a fear of a project, fear of starting a project because I might fail, fear because I might succeed. Ambivalence, I think we all have sort of, um, we're all sort of multi, um, multifaceted. Multi, there's a lot of aspects to all of our personalities. Very complex. I agree. And and that ambivalence can be a, a bitch sometime. Am I allowed to say that? No. It, 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 um, it, it, you know, my, uh, my, my disciplined and diligent self may want to do one thing, but my slacker self says another thing. Those are both... It's like the good angel and the bad angel on your shoulders. Exactly right. right. And, and, and uh, boy, we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time, you know, mediating those conflicts and that time we spend meeting in those conflicts is often we call that procrastination so i want you to be my therapist right now because i'm going to give you a really good scenario which the minute i read the book here's what i thought of 2011 okay um i'm managing the staten island tide and the acbl and we have a championship game on sunday yeah okay my wife has a friend over and i i i I study music so i play the piano okay and i found myself this is a championship game. This is it, all right? At the time, my parents were really sick, and it was really important. I mean, we were taking care of them, and it was just a, a really significant time in my life. Um, and we had a wonderful club, and we had really struggled and battled and, and gotten to this championship game. In our second year in existence, we birthed this team, and uh, we went through all this work, and we have this great bunch of guys, and we're, we're now at the precipice. I mean, this is it. We win. We win one game. We win the championship. Okay. We get championship, right? The, the whole bit. I couldn't pull myself away from the piano. I didn't want to leave. I'm telling you. I've never told anybody this. I've never told anyone this. And my wife kept saying, you know, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And I was almost hoping that the game got pushed back. And, and in, my, in my head, in my head, I was thinking, you know, if we don't play the game at all, I was, I'm so losing to me is so much less desirable than winning is desirable that I just didn't want to. I was so fearful that we would get to this point and drop it, that I was like hoping maybe it doesn't have to happen at all. If I could put this off long enough, you know, darkness will come or a rainstorm will come. And literally I had this conflict of wanting so much to win, but desperately being afraid to lose. And and the pain of losing would have been been much much greater than the the joy of winning. I, I believe, I'm not a psychiatrist, I believe the joy of winning lasts, but it doesn't last near enough as the pain of losing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was that was my 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 the first thing I thought about when I read through through the excerpts of the book was this is 2011. This is the championship game 2011 where I couldn't pull my, and and we wound up prevailing and winning. Uh, and and I think winning tends to be more of a whew, a relief, whereas losing is a hole. That's there's a there's a lot of really rich stuff there to unpack. I mean, first of all, you know, do I need more help? Is you that need, what it is? I, 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 first thing I'd say is you need a lot of help. <laughs> Um, um, you know th- what you said about the 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 the, uh, the cost benefit analysis of their, the playing that game, the, the the how deeply you'd be crushed if you lost, and how you know it would be okay if we won. Uh, I mean that's a fascinating topic and one that resonates with me. The other thing I want to would would want to ask more about and know more about is why. Um, okay, I understood you wanted to sort of stave off that game a little bit. Um, why did you choose to stave it off with the piano in particular? Um, 
I think one of the things that's interesting about procrastination is it's not just laziness. It's not that we just don't do something and we're, we vegetate. When, when, we, when we put something off, it almost always involves doing something else instead. Interesting. And the thing that <laughs> I think is often revealing is, you know, what you choose to do instead and, and the, the sort of second replacement, unsanctioned thing that you do instead of the thing that you're supposed to do often ends up being a lot more worthwhile and wonderful than the sanctioned thing that you're supposed to do and that the world wants you to do. That's a great, that's a great point because for me, the music has no, there's nothing negative about music mm. ever. It's just this lifelong love affair that I have with the music that I'll do until the day I die and I never will play a note that isn't gratifying, satisfying, or making me a better player. There's no downside. There's no judgment. You can't, you can't lose in I music. I can't lose in music. Was, isn't, uh, well, there's some quote. I mean, all these quotes are, you know, I, I, they, they're attached to someone and often the providence is bogus. But there's something about how the, you know, don't fear. I think it's Miles Davis. Don't fear mistakes. There are none. Exactly. Um, Charlie Parker used to say there are no bad notes. Okay, same right. idea. No yeah, bad yeah. notes. Well, right. So that's, that's that's another reason why you're on the show because you know Miles and, and, <laughs> and, and all the great jazz guys. Uh, I, I know of them. Uh, okay, so, wow, so that's... Maybe is that is that what you love about? I mean, that I'm that can't be the thing you love about music, but that's one of the. I love the craft of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I love the fact that music's eternal. You could play all day and night and never get it. You yeah. know, there's always something more to get. And I love the fact that all my musician friends play for the reason I try to get my baseball players to play. I think that you have hit the jackpot as a baseball player when you play for one simple reason, and that is you can't not play. Uh. Not because you want to make the major leagues, not because you want a new glove, not because you want a new bat. No, it's because you just have to play. Yeah. My musician friends play because they've got to play. They play every day. I play the piano every day. I have to play. And that's what I, I, I my goal is to hopefully get guys to, you know, if I can get one or two guys to think, you know what, after a, a year with Tommy Weber, man, I, I really need to play every day. I really need to play every day. That's the most gratifying thing I find in that's, coaching. That's a, a great objective to have. So, all right. Let's let's talk about losing though. So, um, as a manager or as right. a, as a player, d d what role does um, fear of losing play in motivating you and in, and in, in in your process? Is is do you do you first of all? Let me back up. Do you, are you afraid to lose? Yeah. So absolutely. Does that does that affect the way you manage the game? You or? bet. I think good managers are in fear. I think I really believe. I really believe good managers are afraid. We, we, you know, in the Cape this year, uh, as you know, uh, Brewster, 2017 Cape Cod League champions. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done in baseball. It was the greatest thing I've ever done in baseball. Um, it, it was just wonderful. Great guys, great co coaches, everything was fabulous about it. The way we won, set a Cape record, all that stuff. We had nine days. We, had, we were the only team that ever played nine days in a row. Uh, every game was a nail biter. It was the worst nine days of my life <laughs> until until we won. So if, if you told me that in 2018 I've got to go through that, but I know I'm going to win, I'm fine with it. But when you're going through it, it's not fun. Our manager had stomach disorders. Guys, when you could tell. Now your countenance has to be one of confidence, obviously, and you're on a top dugout step and you're leading, and that's fine. But inside, you are scared to death because you know that you have no control over the outcome. And a really good manager or coach understands that. He understands that no matter what he does, he can't control the outcome. He can only control the process, and you got to sit back and watch, and that's the hardest thing to well, do. that's a very Eastern way to look at it. That's awfully enlightened for baseball. Well, I am Italian, so I'm <laughs> halfway to the East. <laughs> so, so yeah, Roger Bannister uh, died, I guess, recently yes, because yes. I read his obit on, in the paper yesterday. And if I understood what I read right, he, in his autobiography, 
wrote about the moment when a, a runner decides to make his move and break away from the pack. And he talked about sometimes it's done out of confidence or overconfidence because you feel like you're going to you're going to grab the race right, right now. Right. And sometimes that overconfidence is when you do it too soon and you can't sustain that kick and they catch up to you later. On the other hand, sometimes you do it because you're afraid, you're scared less and and um and you do it because you're afraid that everyone else is going to leave you behind, uh, which is a very, uh, for at least for someone like me, boy, that, that gets really deep, and that's like a, it goes back to like all kinds of like really basic anxieties. So, so there's that. I think for any athlete, uh, understanding that you know that line between confidence and fear is a is is a is a thin one and hard to discern sometimes. And also, I think it's, boy, I, I, I'm not sure I would believe anyone who said that they don't have fear in, in any sport, certainly in baseball. I'm so you... glad you brought that up because I, I firmly believe that the new frontier, mm-hmm. the next, you know, in, we're slow in the West to catch up to mm-hmm. the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it, it hurts our players. I really do believe that. I think that the next frontier is going to be all about finding out what it is that motivates you, these deep-seated anxieties, where they come from, finding the genesis, working on them, and as a result, making you a far better player because we are far too macho in sports in, in the West, far too macho. We're far too afraid to discuss how we feel. Uh, we think that we have to put up a tough front all the time. I don't, I don't think there are very many tough people in the world, let alone tough baseball players, uh, which is why I think we use the um, unfortunate analogies to battle. You know, sports is not a battle. I try to tell my players, if any of you were ever in a battle, you would hear one gunshot and be in a fetal <laughs> position and crying for your mommies. So, so you know, there are no battle analogies, in my opinion. It doesn't take courage to be a good ball player. Uh, I, and, and I think the best players, whether they do it purposefully, purposefully or inadvertently, get in touch with the fact that I am afraid. Mm-hmm. This is scary. It mm-hmm. should be scary. You know, it's scary. It's daunting. The stakes are high. Um, You want something very much. So as a result, you're afraid of losing it. And if you can address that rather than um, taking that and suppressing it, it's going to make, you know, as we all have uh, found out as we get older, stuff makes its way out some way, one way or another. Well, if you could kind of use it in a constructive way rather than a destructive way, I think you'd be much better off. And I think that major league teams in in all sports are going to start investing a great deal more in that. You can't. I mean, you can't do anything about your fear if you're pretending that you're not afraid. Right. And and we've been talking about sort of fear of abstract things like winning and losing. But, I mean, mean, in baseball, there's ball fear. There's fear of the ball. No question. And I I, I work with high school kids and – it's not you know it's not just ten year olds that are afraid of the ball. I mean some of the, some of the boys we work with are still a little bit afraid of the ball, and and you could you know call you don't it. know how valuable that piece of information is that you just said, because if you go on Twitter or social media, which you know we can get we can do a whole new pod, we can do a whole podcast on that. But if you go and you just look at all the baseball sites, it is so hyper macho, and I think these guys are all missing one basic fact. I worked with Charlie Lau when I was playing. And Charlie Lau said two things that I'll never forget. He said, one, believe what your eyes see, not what your ears hear. Watch, watch, watch. Your brain is the best computer in the world. It focuses and processes information better than anything. And it's all firsthand. Second is, everybody's afraid of the ball. Hmm. And when he said that, I felt <laughs> like a weight get, you know, why, why does the, the curveball work? Well, the curveball works because you think it's going to hit you in the head. You back off of it, and all of a sudden it's on the outside corner. So the reality is one of baseball's most venerable pitches is based on fear. Yep. So... Uh, and if you said to a hitter, you know, if you went on Twitter today and said, you know, all hitters are afraid, you would be, you know, you, they would burn you out 
there would be <laughs> you'd never be on Twitter again. Um, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I know you said that sort of flippantly, but I don't think you realize the import of that and how important that is to examine with young players, yeah. which is what you're doing at Millennium. Well, I, I didn't mean to be flip at all. In fact, I, we brought it up. I brought it up at practice yesterday. I, it's, it's, uh, yeah, no. I mean, I think it's an, it's, it's a basic part of baseball, like you said, and and recognizing that and and figuring out a way to address it, whether it's just through reps or whether it's through meditation or whether it's through visualization. I don't know what, what I don't know what the tricks are. I don't have the answers, but you you got to confront it and 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 deal with it and find some way to to. I don't know if the word is overcome it, but at least at least be able to to handle it so that you can do your job. That's a great that's a great way of putting it. Handle it, adapt. We are going to be right back. This is fabulous stuff. Thanks so much. Stay with us. We're going to be right back with Andy Santella. This conversation is brought to you by hashtag Four Mom, Braden and Hunter Bishop's charitable fund dedicated to helping people and families with Alzheimer's and dementia. Hashtag Four Mom on Twitter or Formomalz.com. Formomalz.com. Braden, the prospect with the Seattle Mariners, and Hunter, our center fielder with our 2017 Brewster Whitecap Championship team, also patrolling the outfield at Arizona State University. They're in a battle. Uh, their mom was diagnosed with early onset of Alzheimer's at a very young age, and uh, our prayers and our thoughts are always with the Bishop family. Miles Davis, Kind of Blue, in my opinion, the greatest recorded piece of music of all time. Never have so many guys of such genius and virtuosity been uh, convened to produce better music, in my opinion. Miles, awesome. Andy, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Let's go, uh, let's talk about what you're doing at Millennium High School. You're assistant coach there. Tell me a little bit about how a writer, an author, <laughs> uh, a transplanted Chicagoan, uh, what you hear about five or six years, yeah. and uh, how'd you hook up with Brian Friedman, Millennium, Millennium High School? Well, I've, I've even back in Chicago, I was uh, coaching youth baseball and and loving it. Um, when I came to Brooklyn, um, I found sort of a, a vacuum. Um, there was a lack of the kind of program I wanted to be a part of, and that I wanted my then what twelve year old son to be a part of. And um, so I decided to start my own. Um, it's uh, so I, I run a I run a summer team and have for the last five years now. What's the name of your team? The Wrath Wrath right. Baseball of Brooklyn. Right. I, like um, I, I have to say I didn't I didn't choose the name, but 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 <laughs> but I'm I'm proud of it. Uh, anyway, so so in the you know as as you can imagine when you run a team in our coaching you spend a lot of time in the park and in the field, on the fields and I uh, would always uh, see Brian's teams at work and. I'm always trying to absorb and observe, and, and uh, I noticed that his team's practiced with a lot of energy. I like the way he instructed. I like the way his practice looks. So when I see something like that, I kind of would stop and watch because I wanted to learn. And I got to know him a little bit, introduced myself, and um, we seemed to hit it off. And eventually he invited me to you know help out if I wanted to. So uh, I definitely did want to. And the thing that's been great about it, I mean, it's apart from – just being uh, getting to be around some of these young men who are just a, 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 a blast is a, a, a learning from Brian. I mean, he's al- almost literally half my age, <laughs> and uh, and I he's seventeen, <laughs> and and he I I, I I learn from him every day, and um, and it's I also have a blast. He's and and I think you know what I I would be interested to hear what you 
think about um, sort of constructing a coaching staff. One of the things I think has happened either serendipitously or because Brian masterfully planned it out is, you know, we seem to work well together uh, in, uh, in sort of a good cop, bad cop way. We have, we have different personalities and different um, sorts of modes of delivery and ways of uh, approaching practices and games. And I think the kids like that, they, they, you know, and, and one way or the other between the two of us, I mean, mostly him because he's, he's doing the, the, the heavy lifting, uh, but one way or the other, I think we were able to reach them in a, in a pretty productive and fun way. Well, that's great. I, I, and I, of course, Brian and I uh, go back a long way. We both had uh, a very significant mentor in our lives, Joe Victor, who passed away two years ago, who was one of my best friends in the world and uh, one of the smartest, big-brainest guys you'd ever meet who had a passion for baseball that was unmatched and just taught me so much. I mean, I, I could do 10 podcasts. Uh, I, I owe such a, a great debt of gratitude to Joe in so many ways, uh, both academically uh, and in sports and in baseball and in life. Dear friend of mine, I miss him dearly. Uh, so we really were uh, fortunate enough to have people around us who set great examples for us um, and who taught us. And I, and I think one of the things you have going there is uh, a good mix of people. I, I think putting a coaching staff together is like putting a management team together for a company. I don't think it's really any different. I, I'd be less concerned about X's and O's. Uh, because I don't really believe it's what you know. I don't really think there's a lot to know. I, I, I think we kind of overrate how much you need to know about baseball. It is a game. It's not rocket science. It's not string theory. Um, what you do need is you need good guys. Um, I'm a Bill Walsh disciple, and Bill Walsh was the first, of course, who developed a personality profile for yeah. football players. And Bill Walsh would tell you, you know, two guys that are close, I'm taking the good guy. Hmm. Uh, and, and I think that what you have is Brian, obviously, is salt of the earth, a great kid. Uh, kid, he's a grown man, um, and uh, I, I also think that you need some. I, I don't think you need, everybody can be of the same age. I think it helps if you have some, a couple, maybe one or two guys that are close in age to the players, and one or two guys that aren't so close in age mm -hmm. to the, in, mm -hmm. in the players. So you do get a mix. You get a, a diverse kind of point of view, yeah. um, and you get a different kind of experience you know you're a grown man with a family and has worked and has a ton of experience and you need that young guy in there for some energy and to do some of the the grunt work that you may not want to do because he's sort of an apprentice and he's got that enthusiasm uh, and I think that mix is is something that's really good I think that's kind of what we had in the cape and if I were putting a, a, a crew together I would be a lot I would not be all that I mean you'd have to have the requisite knowledge of the game which yeah. obviously you have um, but I think being a good guy is more important. I really do because it's a relationship you have to form with your players. Your players have to buy in. They have to be behind you. They have to be willing to, to you know, to, to, to go to battle, if you will. I hate using that that term, but um, and and I think that's more engendered by having good people rather than experts. Yeah, yeah. The thing about age is funny because uh, I, I, one of the things that's good about being as ancient as I am is that you know I, I, um, I you know I have a kid the age of the boys on my team, although my, my son is not at that high school. Um, anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I can kind of treat them like my son or, you know, my nephew. I, I do sort of have a, a vuncular uh, relationship to them and, and you know, it, it, that I don't think any 25 or 28-year-old could have with, with the kids. Um, I also can't, you know, relate and talk street to them the way the 25-year-old can, but th it, it's all good. And and um, and you let each other off the hook by virtue of that <clears throat> because you can defer to the 25-year-old when you need that, yeah. and he could not feel the pressure of having to act like a 
year old, uh, he could defer that to you. Right. Well, Brian says I'm I'm Mr. Rogers, so that's <laughs> so he every once in a while he you, you know way, that sweater is way better than anything Mr. Rogers ever wore. The other thing that's is thing about you know I'm I'm easily by decades the oldest man in the dugout and and you know I think traditionally in baseball that that role means that you're the you're the bench coach and the the man who's seen it all and and you know can whisper in the manager's ear that when when the time needs to come but mostly in the dugout I'm saying how many outs are there again <laughs> so uh but, but um so yeah, but I, it, it it all works out well you know um it's it's a great point though because I'm asked a lot about uh you know, give me some advice. What do you What do you think? How How do I get? What about coaching? You know, should I know? You know, what, what's the secret? And there really is no secret. Um, but I, I I do believe that what's really important is you need somebody in the dugout, just like you need somebody in the boardroom, who's not afraid to lose his job. Hmm. I think that that guy sometimes is the most important guy in the room because that guy's going to be honest with you. Yeah. He's going to say to you, you know what? Get rid of this kid. This yeah. kid's no. You got to get. You got to cut this kid. Or, right. or you know, you, you got to bunt here. Or you right. got to take this pitcher out. He's done. Or you got to. You got to hit. There's an iceberg coming. We need you to make a left turn. Right. And so often that'll be an old guy because he's not trying to get anywhere. Exactly. So like Zimmer exactly. or in basketball, uh, 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 the Bulls had Tex Winter and and the Warriors. We've seen them a million times. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Reese was the guy with the. Uh, California Angels forever. He was like a hundred years old, and he was sitting in the dugout. That's a guy who's not going to be afraid to tell you, "Hey, this guy's a dog. Stop, you know, stop coddling him. He needs to get a kick in the butt." And you need those people around. And and you're not, you're right. You're not going to get that from somebody who's trying to ascend, who's trying to to go up. So well, so. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say the other part of that, for better or worse, is that you know the the manager can feel a little more at ease because. He knows that his right hand man isn't after his job. No. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All those dynamics, all those interpersonal dynamics, come into play. The group dynamic comes into play. That's why when people pull rank on you and say, "You know, I played," what do you know? Well, the reality is, if you played in the sandbox, or you played in the schoolyard, or you played in gym class, you've played. It's the same dynamic. The fact that the players are bigger, stronger, faster, and make tons of money doesn't change the basic human dynamic of the group. Do you have you noticed what I've noticed, and that is that baseball is the sport more than any other that encourages people to BS about their resumes. I mean, I I think because you don't yeah, I you, call it, I call it rank pulling. <laughs> they want well, the first thing I when I I when I was when I had the Staten Island Tide in this in the seven years we had the Tide uh, in the ACBL. I, obviously, I had to recruit players, and and it, it was right out of central casting. Some twenty four year old kid would call me up and have to tell me his curriculum vitae before he said anything to me. So what he was really saying to me is, what I, what I tell you, that, the reason I'm telling you this is so that everything else I tell you afterwards has credibility, right? right. So, so he would say, you know, I played for a half, you know, two weeks, I played for whoever, and I'd be like, okay, and we want you to take this kid. And I would say, well, why, am I, why do I want to take the kid? Well, because I told you. And I, or I played in the league. There's constant rank pulling in yeah. baseball. Yeah. It's very, very prevalent. Right. In pro ball, it's really prevalent. Because if you spent like one hour in the major leagues, you have like this annuity. You know, this, this, like, this intellectual, baseball intellectual annuity for the rest of your life because you actually walked on a major league field in a major league right. uniform. Well, and, so, and some people will claim that 
credibility without have, actually having earned it. I mean, so it's because you don't have to be six eight and two hundred and eighty pounds um, to to have played Division One baseball right, the way right. you ha- the way you have to be to play Division One mm-hmm. football. You can say, oh yeah, I was at the University of Washington, and, right. and but as it turns out, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't I, I wasn't varsity. It might have been the right. club or intramurals right. or something. Right. Right. But but uh, you know, there's there's that that a lot of a lot of yes. I, I personally have never lie about that kind of thing because I'm. Uh, at the minute I claimed to have done anything remarkable athletically, people would burst into uh, <laughs> laughter. Just, I doubt it. Uh, I doubt it. I've seen you. I've seen you throw. It looks pretty good. I, I would say this though, <laughs> oh, just, just to finish this point. Just pretty baseball good? is a you, yeah, just pretty good. Take it easy. All right, we won the Cape League championship. The bar <laughs> is high. All right. <laughs> um, I baseball is a game that is a, a lot of ego invested. Everybody thinks they own baseball. Baseball to Americans is a very very valuable. You know, piece of jewelry to mm. them. They 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 really take baseball very seriously. So everybody wants to rank somehow. They want to be on the inside. You know, it's like at a golf tournament. You want to be on the inside of the ropes rather than the <laughs> outside of the ropes. So uh, that um, that desire is something that you have to really understand is very very prevalent. We talk about that a lot, a lot. And you really have to be careful about whose advice you take and and how credible their resumes are. Obviously, well, uh, that remains to be seen. Chicago guy, yeah. Yankee fan. <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm a White Sox fan. White Sox. They have two teams you've in heard, Chicago. You've heard of them? They have two teams. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. We we drew well over two thousand fans a game uh, last year. So I'll, I'll have you know. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, so, but you did have your championship. Yeah. Not, not that long ago. Not no. that long ago. Don Cooper's been your pitching coach forever. He's a New York guy. Yeah. Long Island guy. Yeah. Went to New York Tech, right? I don't know. I didn't know that. And he went to New York Tech. Okay. Certainly did. Out in Long Island. Out. Uh, um, great guy. Uh, he's been there forever. Yeah. He's actually an anomaly in, in baseball, you know, to be in that position for, for that so long. Who's managing the team now? Does Bill Veck manage that team? <laughs> Who's managing the White Sox? Uh, you, know? I, you didn't tell me you were going to quiz me. All right, no quiz. The, the questions are going to get a lot harder as we go along here. I mean, my God, you don't know who's managing. Good. Um, are, are you Renteria. Yankee? No. Robin yeah. Ventura is still managing? No, Renteria. Renteria is managing? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I froze. I, I, right. Did I mention my concussion? All right. I know uh, the kid who used to be with the Mets is, is one of the – I think he's the bench coach. Uh, Joe McEwing. I think he's a bench coach. Yes, the White yeah, yeah. Good guy. Good guy. Um, so since you're a transplanted New Yorker, you have to pick sides. That's a rule in New York. You're not allowed to be a fan of both. I don't know if you listen to Sports Talk Radio. They have these f- rules now for being a fan. I'm not changing sides. Yeah, you go to, like, fan prison if you uh, pick both teams. So if you had, if you know, if you had to choose a team, who do you choose? We don't, we, we don't do that in Chicago. I mean, I, we're not front runners, and we're not. We don't, I don't like well, you can't be front runners. You have the Cubs. Okay, come on. You've won once in like 117 years. I, I and that was by accident because Joe Madden tried very hard to lose that World Series. I continue to I continue to follow the White Sox, even though it took me five seconds to tell you who manages the team. <laughs> Obviously, you follow very closely. And 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 um, I'm proud to say my son does too. Uh huh. Yeah. Does he follow as closely as you do? Does he, does he at least know they're in Chicago? <laughs> You didn't know you were going to get ripped here today, did you? <laughs> I didn't know either. Yes. <laughs> um, so wh- where where is Millennium at? Like, do you have a spring trip? Um, what's what's the story? How many games do you play? Do you play in the parade grounds? We play at the parade grounds. A venerable place in New York City. It's Some of the greatest players 
in the history of New York City baseball have played there. Joe Torre and Manny Ramirez and Sean Dunstan and everybody who's anybody has played there. One of the things I love in, is, you know, we going around to the, some of the high school fields where Koufax has played or this guy has yep. played or that guy. Yep. It, it's, 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 it's cool. And Prairie Grounds is nice. And the, the kids work hard to uh, on, on the field. One of the things that Brian and, and Aaron Silverman, who's co-coach, do is, is teach them the, that, you know, they're responsible for – uh, for for taking care of their their facilities, so they they work hard to to keep that place looking as you know relatively relatively good for a for a uh, public park field. Uh, but yeah, we play at the parade grounds and we uh, we play at the, t- the top level of the PSAL uh, against a lot of really good teams. Um, the kids go down to Florida not as a team but uh, individually to work out, um, and and we were I was just down there with with them. Uh, oh right, that's that ridiculous rule. You can't have your team together. It just so happened. Just what it happened. does is, like most rules, it creates a cl- criminal class. So now you have. <laughs> it was amazing how many of us just happened to be in the same area at the same time. <clears throat> but uh, it, it was a great time, and, and uh, you know, I, I think the kids had a great time. I know for me, again, just that first time you walk out on the on the field, this beautiful complex at nine in the morning for your first workout after you've been in the gym all winter. Isn't that a relief? Oh my, oh my God, goodness. it was just so, it was just <laughs> such a great feeling. Oh, and and uh, especially, you know, I, by my sort of my portfolio there is as I work with the outfielders. And it's, you'd be uh, surprised how little you can do with outfielders when you're the ceiling in the gym is like eight feet high. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we try to be creative. But anyway, so it's it's fun to get out there and actually be able to hit fungos again and and uh, and and run on the grass again. The book is soon. Got to get it. Great book. Um, who's your favorite player of all time? Well, uh, did I, you, now what was it like to see Gehrig play? I mean, was that? <laughs> did, I, mean, did, I was going you, to ask you that. <laughs> that was, uh-huh. Seriously, who's your favorite player of all time? I liked uh, I liked Frank Thomas an awful awful lot, wow. um, and more recently I liked uh, Scotty Pitsednik an awful lot. Not a guy with a ton of talent, but he made the good most team of, player. Yeah, yep. and and uh, the, the year the White Sox did win the the series, he was the leadoff hitter for the Sox, and he just seemed like he got on base every first inning and then stole second base and then moved along to third on a ground ball to the right side. Well, and now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. The MLB guys would say that's not a big deal. We don't care about the wall. We don't care about the stolen base, you know. I love when they say they don't care about the stolen base. Tell that to I... uh, to um, the Red Sox in 2004 when Mariano Rivera walked, of all people, Kevin Millar. Oh, my God. Uh, and then he should have underhanded that ball to Kevin Millar. <laughs> And then Dave Roberts steals second, and then Bill Miller hits a 35 hopper up the middle that changes the course of two franchises' histories. Because had the Yankees won that game, had Mariano not spit in the bit two games in a row, uh, they would have fired Terry Francona, and that group would have been dismantled Uh because they were dysfunctional. Instead, what happens? They go on to win the World Series, and the course of history has changed. If there was one thing you could change in baseball, what would it be? What's your pet peeve when you watch a game? Uh, major league game. I liked a lot of what you said about um, instant replay. That's for twenty five bucks. You'll say anything. Well, I but I, you didn't let me finish. I don't quite agree with what you said about the automated strike zone. I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But um, um, why not? I I, I I mean I think 
part of the game is being able to read. I, I, I get what you say about the how absurd it is for there not to be a strike zone, but instead this guy's strike zone and that guy's strike zone. But it is part of the game to know to be able to figure out what that strike zone is every game and work that whether you're the pitcher Good or whether Good you know, and, and adjust to it whether you're the whether you're the hitter. I mean, I, the kids I coach in the summer, it's amazing how many times they have to take strike three when a you know the pitch will be you know eight inches off the outside black. I mean that it, 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 for some reason sixteen year old baseball that's a strike eight inches off the outside well, black. Exp- right, they expand the plate because they think they'll never go home if they don't make the plate twenty five <laughs> inches. So, and so you know my kids will look at it maybe you know nine guys will strike out on that pitch before before and you know I'll be saying you know guys that might be a strike today you might want to swing at that you might want to foul it off and you know make right, right. make him make him keep make him keep pitching but no it takes him until about the sixth inning to figure that out you're making a great point I love that point and I think that is a valid point in response to to my, my desire to have it automated I could live with that as the reason for why you don't have it automated because we're really what you're really saying is now you got to invest in making an adjustment yeah. it heightens your uh, the need for you to focus more and to concentrate more and to adapt right. more to the environment. Right. Whereas my my solution might make the game even more sterile than it is, and I don't want to sterilize the game. Well, it also it also disincentivizes thinking about the game. So right. so if, if if there's that ambiguity there, you're you're rewarded for Great being point. able you're rewarded for being able to to read that and and, and adjust to it. Yeah, I just like the idea of ambiguity in a human element in general. I think that's one of the most charming things about baseball. I mean, I I, I would hate to rob it. So then, how do you feel about the? Then what I say is, I'm cool with that as long as you can have conflict, as long as I can yell at an umpire, as long as I can give you a hard time. Because the only thing that holds an umpire accountable is him knowing that if he screws up, you're going to let him know about it. Because otherwise they're accountable to each other, and we know that that doesn't work. Right, that can't work. Well, but it's not it's not particular just to the umpires. Mm You can't have a system where you're only accountable to your buddy. You yeah. have to have a system where somebody else holds you accountable. And that is where the you know traditional kind of bench jockeying and getting on an umpire was an art form because you wanted that umpire to know, hey, I'm watching you. Right. That's your incentive to get better. Well, you, I mean, I'll, I'll ask you because you would know better than I would. Isn't the, another level of accountability there accountability to the evaluations that are coming from the league office? So, like, the league office has pitch tracks, and they're, they're evaluating their strikes and balls calls and how many of them were right according to pitch tracks and how many of them were wrong according to pitch tracks. Yes, and, yes, yes. So, My answer is yeah. watch the Bryant Gumbel. Uh, real sport with Jerry Crawford and see what he says he used to do with the uh, reports that he got. He said he used to throw them in the garbage. He never read one. Of them. <laughs> well, but aren't, are, isn't isn't there isn't there uh, they're unfireable? Well, but aren't they? Aren't isn't there their assignment to postseason games and all that based on that? To some degree, yes. Yeah. To some degree, yes, absolutely. But it doesn't necessarily result. I I haven't seen it result in well the statistics would tell us yeah. and these are statistics we can rely on because we know every pitch that's been thrown and what the degree to which is that they are missing pitches, and they're missing the most important pitches, the close pitches. You know, my sister could umpire the, the bad, you know, the pitch that's four feet outside or four feet inside. Right. Any, it's the close pitch that makes the difference, and yeah. that's the one they're not getting right enough, right. such that um, obviously any kind of report that they're getting isn't resulting in better umpires. Well, they're not getting it right according to pitch tracks and according to the 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 the, um, the, 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 the algorithm right. but but they, they might be getting it right according to 
the catcher. So in other words, I mean, another part of uh, the uh, the game that that you would be taking away is is the the job the catcher does, not just in framing, which I don't particularly. I think yeah, too I can't big, stand too that big phrase. of a deal has been made out of that. I, right. I agree, it's but way I, overrated. But I do. Th- I mean, so like I in in the PSA because the umpires might be bad, but they're not morons. No, no. But I, I and, and this is uh, again, I'm talking about only some of them. I'm talking about high school umps. But I, I one thing I've noticed, and I I love all of you gentlemen, by the way. Um, <laughs> when, when our catcher our catcher can set up a foot outside, uh, and if the pitcher hits the glove, it's a strike. So um, what the umpire is, uh, you know, the umpire is, is moving his strike zone over with the catcher almost. Um, so if our catcher can understand that and, 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 um, and use that, well, more power to him. And Only there is a point at which the hitter can't hit the ball. <laughs> right. No, well, that's where, the bro- that's where the broom comes in, Andy. <laughs> and your, your hitters aren't happy. Andy, let me tell you something. This has really, really been great. I, I, I can't thank you enough. Um, this is our initial broadcast here. Uh, the crew is great. Everybody, this is a state-of-the-art facility. Uh, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't have thought of a better maiden voyage and a better guest to have in our maiden voyage than Andy Santella. The book is soon. You have to get it. I'm telling you, it will change your perspective on procrastinating and it'll get you off the hook a little bit um i want to wish you a lot of success you and brian i know that those kids are in really good hands and that uh more guys like you and more guys like brian the game is in really good hands want to thank you i want to thank everybody for listening and we will be back soon on the conversation with tommy weber thanks thanks Place.